The Daily 202 is supported by the Showtime docuseries, The Circus. Get a different perspective on the 2020 presidential campaign from hosts John Heilman, Alex Wagner, and Mark McKinnon as they go behind the scenes and beyond the headlines of the most important story of our time. Don't miss The Circus, Sundays at 8 p.m., only on Showtime. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, February 14th. In today's news, the coronavirus is cramping Valentine's Day flower sales. Senate Republicans may torpedo President Trump's Federal Reserve nominee, and Trump allies are starting to focus attention on Pete Buttigieg's sexual orientation. But first, the big idea. Attorney General Bill Barr pushed back last night against Trump's attacks on the Justice Department. He told ABC News that he's not going to be bullied or influenced by anybody. The remarkable public rebuke of the president by a sitting member of the cabinet arose from a crisis of confidence at DOJ, which has been accused this week of buckling to an angry tweet the president issued after learning of prosecutors' initial prison recommendation for his longtime friend, Roger Stone. Barr told ABC that it's time for Trump to stop tweeting about active criminal cases. To have public statements and tweets made about the department, uh, about uh, our people in the department, our, our men and women here, about cases pending in the department, and about judges before whom we have cases, uh, make it impossible uh, for me to do my job and to assure the courts and the prosecutors in the, in the department uh, that we're doing our work with integrity. Since becoming attorney general last year, Barr has enthusiastically and repeatedly defended the president. He covered for him by initially misleading the American people about what Bob Mueller concluded. People close to Barr say that in recent months, though, he's become increasingly frustrated with Trump's tweets about the Justice Department. While Barr's comfortable not being loved by career employees who work for him, he felt this week's comments from Trump raised a bigger problem by giving people fresh evidence to believe that he's politicized or even corrupted the nation's chief law enforcement agency. Behind the public fight, however, is a deeper tension that's been growing between Trump and Barr's Justice Department over the lack of criminal charges against former FBI Director Jim Comey and those close to him. The flare-up over the Stone sentence is really more about whom the department has not charged with crimes than about whom it has. This is according to several people familiar with the discussions both at the Justice Department and the White House who spoke to my colleagues Devlin Barrett, Matt Zapatosky, and Josh Dossie. Trump has repeatedly complained about FBI Director Chris Wray, someone he appointed, over the past few months. He is angry that Wray has not done enough to purge the Bureau of people who he perceives as being disloyal to him. Trump has tweeted many times that he thinks Comey should be charged with crimes, And he was particularly upset that no charges were filed over the former FBI director's handling of memos about his interactions with the president. An inspector general report faulted the former director for keeping some of those memos in a safe at his home and for arranging for the contents of one of the memos to be shared with a reporter after Comey was fired in 2017. Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz referred Comey's handling of the memos to prosecutors for possible criminal prosecution. But lawyers quickly determined it wasn't even a close call and they didn't seek to build a case. That sent Trump into a rage. He complained so loudly and swore so frequently in the Oval Office 
that some of his aides discussed it for days, according to multiple White House staffers. Trump told people he wanted to find a way to get Comey indicted for something. Trump has also wanted charges filed against Comey's former deputy, Andy McCabe. A separate inspector general's investigation concluded that McCabe lied to investigators about his role in authorizing disclosures to a Wall Street Journal reporter in October 2016 about internal FBI tensions over an investigation of the Clinton Foundation. A grand jury in Washington seemed poised to make a decision on that case last year before fizzling into inaction. Trump's anger over the lack of charges against FBI personnel flared again last month, prompted by two unrelated developments. First, the prosecutors updated their position in the case of former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, saying a sentence of some prison time would be appropriate. A few days later, the Washington Post reported that U.S. Attorney John Huber in Utah tapped years earlier to reinvestigate several issues related to vague, unsubstantiated allegations of corruption against Hillary Clinton, had quietly wound down his work after finding nothing of consequence. These two developments further enraged the president. In his mind, it's unacceptable that people like Comey and McCabe haven't been indicted when people like Stone and Flynn are being treated, in his view, harshly. In recent weeks, the president's anger has focused increasingly on Jesse Liu, the former U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, again, someone appointed by Trump. Her office had been handling many of the cases related to Comey and other former FBI officials. The office recently conducted interviews in a leak inquiry eyeing senior FBI officials over news stories in 2017 that discussed a top-secret Russian intelligence document that influenced Comey's decision-making back in 2016. Many of the questions being asked by investigators have focused on the former FBI director. Again, remember, Trump is determined to try to indict Comey for something. Separately, Barr tapped Connecticut U.S. Attorney John Durham to investigate whether any crimes were committed by FBI and CIA officials in the pursuit of allegations in 2016 that Russia interfered in the election to benefit Trump's campaign. After learning that the Huber investigation in Utah is not likely to produce any charges, Trump has become more and more insistent that Durham finish his work soon, according to several people familiar with the discussions. Trump has told people that he wants to be able to use whatever Durham finds as a cudgel in his re-election campaign. All of that frustration has fed in to the public fight over the Stone case. Stone is scheduled to be sentenced next week. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the economic fallout of the coronavirus is growing around the world. Singapore's leader is warning today of a possible recession as the virus and travel curbs slam the regional economy. Asian and European auto plants are running short of parts. Free-spending Chinese tourists are staying home. And American companies are bracing for unpredictable turbulence. And that's just the start. The financial hangover will linger for months, even if the illness is soon brought under control. The Chinese epidemic's aftershocks will probably cause the global economy to shrink this quarter for the first time since the depths of the 2009 financial crisis. Some U.S. manufacturers say they're facing shortages of parts in one to two weeks that could force them to furlough American workers. One quarter of China's economy is being particularly hard hit this week. Flower sellers, 
Broccoli, cauliflower, masks, and hand sanitizer are the way to prove you love your partner this Valentine's Day, at least in China. Forget red roses. Flower delivery platforms are reporting a 95% drop in online flower sales as health fears dissuade people from ordering anything online or going to pick up deliveries. Meanwhile, another 5,000 cases of coronavirus were reported yesterday, bringing the count in mainland China past 63,000. More places around Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak, are enacting so-called wartime measures, like sealing off residential complexes and only allowing essential vehicles on the roads. Apps are being used by the government to track citizens who must provide extensive medical information before entering and exiting key Chinese cities, allowing authorities to collect a huge amount of data. China's National Health Commission announced today that more than 1,700 medical workers have now been infected with coronavirus. Number two, three Republican senators on the Senate Banking Committee said last night that they are undecided about whether to support Judy Shelton after sitting through her day-long confirmation hearing. The senators are Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, Dick Shelby from Alabama, and John Kennedy from Louisiana. Any one of them could torpedo her nomination since Republicans only have a one-seat advantage on the panel. Toomey said he, quote, didn't know if Shelton would uphold the Fed's independence. Shelby said that the nominee sounded like she, quote, could be an outlier whose views are outside the mainstream. Kennedy said, quote, nobody wants anybody on the Federal Reserve that has a fatal attraction to nutty ideas. Shelton has been a longtime outspoken critic of the Fed, the board she joined, and for advocating for decades that the United States return to something akin to the gold standard, which we've abandoned since 1971. She's alarmed many in the financial world by calling for more coordination between the Fed and the White House. She's also altered some of her views to become more in line with Trump's aggressive push for lower interest rates. The White House said it stands fully behind Shelton, who said several times during our confirmation hearing that she would bring intellectual diversity to the Fed. What she means by that is that she has a PhD in business administration from the University of Utah. It's a very Harriet Myers-esque background. Trump's Prior to picks, businessman Herman Cain and conservative pundit Stephen Moore both had to withdraw because of dicey personal issues related to women. Two of Trump's other Fed nominees were also passed over. Trump has made no secret that he regrets picking Jerome Powell to be the Fed chair, and there is alarm among elites in both parties that Trump would quickly try to elevate Shelton to this top job at the central bank when Powell's term expires in early 2022. Number three. A week after receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom during the State of the Union, Rush Limbaugh questioned on his radio show whether Americans are ready for a gay candidate who kisses his husband on stage. The Federalist, a popular conservative website, defended Limbaugh's comments. On his radio show Wednesday, Seb Gorka, a former deputy assistant to the president and a current Trump campaign surrogate, bizarrely questioned what right Buttigieg has to weigh in on abortion rights if he's never going to get a woman pregnant. Conservative radio host Ben Ferguson seemed to imply that Buttigieg is somehow less masculine because he's gay. A video that went viral last week on the right showed an Iowa woman who caucused for Buttigieg asking whether she could change her vote after finding out that he's gay. The woman says in the video that he had better read the Bible. All these attacks are prompting blunt responses from Buttigieg's allies and his Democratic rivals, who've all called the remarks inappropriate and offensive. Interestingly, the Buttigieg campaign is declining to respond to these comments on the record. Previous candidates have sometimes decided to confront identity issues directly. 
Barack Obama delivered that highly personal talk on race in Philadelphia in 2008. John F. Kennedy gave that landmark speech about his Catholicism in 1960 to a group of Protestant ministers. So far, the Buttigieg team has concluded that ignoring the remarks is the best choice, but that could change if the attacks become louder and more frequent or show signs of resonating more widely. Since Buttigieg's strong performances in Iowa and New Hampshire, journalists have also begun raising the issue of his sexuality more frequently. That's prompted responses like Buttigieg's comment this week to People magazine. He said he's excited to start a family soon with his husband, Chastin. No matter what happens in this race, whether they're in the White House or not, Buttigieg said that the next chapter in their personal lives will be having kids. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, February 14th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. To celebrate President's Day, we'll be off on Monday, but we're back Tuesday. Have a great long weekend.